Hey everybody, thanks for watching. I'm Jason Mangum and I have with me my co-host, Mark Anderson. Today we've got a very interesting uh, topic today, Mark, don't we? We're going to be talking about traditional values and those attacks against the traditional values and how it's shaping and forming culture today. And so why don't you just greet the people? Uh, yeah, great to be here again, Jason. This is an evergreen topic. It'll last a while. We want everyone to see this and share it. Um, what we've seen, ladies and gentlemen, over the last 120 or so years, as the 19th century became the 20th, and now the 20th has become the 21st, is an abandonment of traditions that were held and practiced for very long periods of time, by and large. We're living in this brave new world, Jason, and yeah. we're told that constant change for the sake of change is the way to live. Yeah. Barack Obama lived by that. Just change, hope and change, change and hope, just yeah. keep hoping and changing. For what, <laughs> he never re could really tell us. Some, some of us hoped we knew who he really was, right? Yeah, but, some of us did. But we digress. So, as, as we look back, and what Jason and I are trying to do here is, is learn from our past. Yes, it's true, not everything we did in the past was right or just or proper. But then to say, conversely, that constantly changing things and just jettison, jettisoning things and abandoning things, uh, throwing the baby out with the bathwater right. every other Tuesday, to say that and to say that that is the way to live and that that's going to work, I think we're now seeing, ladies and gentlemen, the fruits of that ill-advised philosophy. Right. That it simply does not work to constantly change things and abandon traditions just for the sake of doing so, just because some Marxist professor told you that's the way to do it, or a feminist activist, or whatever it might be. Exactly. But, um, but I know that one of the things, and we could pull many elements out of this, Jason, let's talk about courtship. Going back into colonial times, into the Middle Ages, and up into the Victorian age, courtship was the dominant way that a man would get to know a woman and the man and woman would decide whether or not marriage is the proper thing for them. Right. The man would have to typically write a letter to the household, address the parents, and ask to see her some night, to go have tea or something, and there would typically be a chaperone. Right. The man and woman would not just uh, higgly-piggly just go out and do whatever they want with total and utter abandon. They're just getting to know each other, this way at the same time, whether the, whether the uh, chaperone is a parent or not, or an uncle or an aunt, that way they're getting to know other members of the family at the same time that, that they're getting to know each other, the man right. or the woman. And they would call upon, the man would call upon the woman, he would ask for permission to go out with her, there'd be a chaperone, and there would be this uh, safety valve against immediate sexual relations, which is one of the things, along with the pornographic uh, revolution that came later that has fed the abortion mill. Abortions are strongly a result of illicit sexual relations where a pregnancy was not sought or intended and then they, they don't have enough of a relationship to know what to do about the baby so the temptation becomes to get rid of the baby. Right. So I'm kind of fast forwarding in that instance but the abandonment of courtship, the total abandonment of courtship, I argue, and I believe the status of society today shows, was a very unwise decision. Right. There's been this breakdown, almost, in the traditional values, and it came a lot with what is happening, I believe, when we begin to move from religious education into 
secular education. Yes. And so that's what we're seeing it happening because that, that so influences and affects everything in our culture, which I want to state, make it the statement very clear is culture is local, but truth is universal. Excellent so point. you can come against the truth or skew the truth or come up with now what they call their truth. Yeah, everybody has their, their truth. truth. Right, is, right. You know, which is totally bogus, but it's an attack against the truth. And so what happened is when we began to see even education shift away from religious-based education, where the Bible and prayer were in school, many of our great Ivy League colleges and universities, such as Princeton and Harvard and Yale, were Christian-based 100%. That's right. They were founded on that foundation. On that foundation. Many of them trained, uh, obviously, lawyers, and the lawyers were all trained on the Bible because... Uh, you know, you're seeing a whole movement away from that where they want to remove and have, in many cases, the Ten Commandments from the courtrooms. But what you're seeing is the difference between a religious education and a secular education is one of the greatest things you're going to learn through religious education is you're going to learn about you. You're going to look and evaluate your life. What are you doing? Because the very Amer American values are hard work, responsibility, integrity, ethics. That's what we're talking about, traditional values. And so, but also equality and justice and freedom and liberty. And so, but what happened is when people are, have a religious education, they're actually taught the biggest problem in their life and the biggest obstacle in their life is them. Where when secular education began to infiltrate and influence our youth, our children, and even into the colleges and universities, then what did you see? Secular education points that society is the problem. Society beliefs are the problem. And to the point now where we've seen it swing so far that America is the problem. America is racist. America is homophobic. America is xenophobic or transphobic and all this. Misogynist. So, yeah. Misogynist. So America, so that's where you're seeing now, unfortunately, you're seeing our youth and uh, the next generation that's being taught to come against a nation when reality is America is built on biblical Christian principles. And so, but that has been torn so much. So where you get away from looking at you being the problem, it's like they want society to change, but if you don't change, society will not change. It's about the individual responsibility. And that's what I believe was being instilled through the original American traditional values, which is now being ripped apart and torn to threads because they're, they want us to get away from those original values and under the guise of change and everything's evolving and that can't be this, what they meant. That can't be, we can't live the way that they live decently and we're hardworking and self-governed themselves, you know. Because remember, Mark, we are based, this nation is based upon a self-government. But if you cannot govern yourself, how can you govern others? Yeah, many political uh, commentators and philosophers have talked about the dynamic where if a person cannot restrain their passions and if society at large becomes a place where people are um, living in a um, 
with a revolutionary mindset where they act upon their every whim. And remember, the occultist Aleister Crowley said, do what thou wilt is the letter of that philosophy. And yeah. do as thou wilt is simply unrestrained free will, knowing no ethical or moral boundaries, yeah. which leads to chaos. People that live that way need the tyrannical state to keep them caged and keep them uh, in some sort of semblance and order so society can function. So living a philosophy of unrestrained free will invites tyranny. Yeah. Many, many political observers, very astute ones, have pointed that out. And we are reiterating it because in our society of constant change, where we have a media and an education system, both, that don't talk about principles, they don't talk about principles, yeah. Jason, ever. Yeah. Principles need not apply. It's all about political opinions. It's all about emotions. Somebody's, you know, somebody walked past a Ten Commandments monument. It happens to be on public land. And the mere fact that they're offended suspends all the rights of those who want that and enjoy that monument being there. Right. Which is the majority who enjoy it and want it to be there. Correct. And that secularist or atheist or agnostic that doesn't like it, number one, doesn't have to look at it. Number two, there is some freedom for them to put up some sort of monument, I guess, to some leader that they thought was interesting, maybe a leader of the secularist movement, maybe it'd be John Dewey, the founder of modern education. We'll talk about him in a minute. Um, however, I will go off into the weeds a little bit and say um, people with the Satanic Temple, a rather shady sounding organization that I think is really kind of a scam, but they call it the Satanic yeah. Temple. Um, they, they operate on this equivalency argument. Well, if you can put up a nativity scene or a Ten Commandments, then we can put up, we can put up a statue of Baphomet, the, the demon, or even of Satan himself, if there's, if there's such a statue, yeah. because don't we have equal religious rights? But I'm sorry, while evil and good are polar opposites, they, there is no equivalency right. in society that demands or requires us to treat them equally. The, the forces of darkness should not and cannot and should never enjoy being given the equivalency of statues or monuments to our Christian leaders or to Christian imagery and iconography themselves. Right. So this equivalency argument is completely bogus. Yeah, let me in, interject, if I could, on that very point. Yes. I just had a conversation yesterday with oh, wow. a librarian of 37 years, precious dear friend of ours, and she was talking about how there were different attacks from both sides on what books should be in the library regarding religious material and regarding other material. I have something be, to keep going. I have a lot yeah. to say in that. And so there was this young man that would come on a regular basis, not necessarily on a daily basis, but would come and ask her as the librarian, and I'm talking the chief librarian, the head, would come and ask her and say, can I get a satanic Bible? Wanted to check out a satanic Bible. The Anton LaVey book? Yes. Yes. And she would simply respond, show me in the curriculum where you need that. So her response was, show me from an educational perspective where that fits into the curriculum and yes. what you're studying, and then I'll give it to you. 
And so, but what was amazing about that end of that story is every so often, I mean, it was on a regular basis. And then he got, he went on to graduate. She bumped into him recently in a, a Walmart, I believe, just out shopping, bumped into him. And he, he said, did you ever get that satanic Bible? And she said, show me the curriculum, the purpose of why you need it to study. And he says, I just want to let you know. I got born again, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Oh, wow. Very powerful. So that, that powerful. little bit of a barrier she put up, or, or to get him to question the, the actual need for it, was yes, enough. Was enough. You see, this is, this is fantastic. The, the Lord indeed works in mysterious ways, yes. or you know, ways that uh, are, are um, providential. Right. Uh, certainly, but there was a standard. Why do you need this? Yeah, let's get into the banned books thing for a little bit. Uh, nice little segue, then we'll get back into a sort of a timeline on uh, post-Victorianism. The banned books thing uh, at my hometown, Bridgman, Michigan, and southwestern Michigan, and at several other libraries in several other states, including here in Texas, the banned books people is, uh, are, are the American Library Association, and it is, very, it is a very left-wing, by and large, organization. Yeah. And so librarians certainly not universally, but tend to be on the liberal side. So banned books, when they have banned books week, I think, or banned books month, whichever it is every yeah. year, and I, I want to say it's in October. If I'm wrong, I'll stand corrected. If you look at banned books, meaning books that were banned over the years, but the library will stock those books because they still want you to read them because the idea is they're looking out for your freedom of expression and your freedom of education. And so they're going to stock these books that over the years have been banned. And who did the banning? Largely Christians. What kind of books were banned that the libraries want to make sure you read? The Catcher in the Rye by Salinger, a Mm -hmm. book which has been linked to criminal behavior. Yeah. The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. And I'm not saying don't read these books. I don't mean that. Right. But what I am saying, ladies and gentlemen, is that by and large, the libraries will put these books out there that have been banned to give you the freedom to recover these books that otherwise would have been burned or thrown away, they imply. And some libraries will even have a paper blank cover on the book and the idea is that as you enter the library, you slip off the cover and you, ooh, that's the book that was banned. Yeah. And the vast majority of them are books that encourage an over-sexualized youth. They, they encourage youth to be over-sexualized at too young of an age. Yeah. That push atheistic doctrines like the Communist Manifesto, which is also tyrannical doctrines and doctrines that talk about the financial overthrow of governments through the financial mechanism, the big banks and whatnot. And so Christians over the decades did call out books that they thought were corrosive of the Christian sensibilities of right. Christendom. Right. And I won't even say 100% that maybe they were always right to do that. But I will say that it's completely slanted and the books that were seen as corrosive or subversive were in fact subversive books. And I would never advocate not reading them, but I would advocate reading them while knowing the score. That's that's very important because we would always knowing the facts. We would always advocate to educate yourself. Look, if you had the opportunity to see the 
the, the military strategic plan of your enemy, but you said, well, that's the enemy's plan. That's what the enemy wrote. I'm not going to read it. You would be a fool. That's correct. So you need to know your enemy. You need to know the strategies and, and go into it with that perspective. With both eyes open yes. and knowing that while Christians might have gotten a little overzealous in, in, their, in their time saying these books are inimical to society, they still had a reason to call attention to those books and, and assign a certain cautionary note to them. Right. That, you know, that if you read Darwin's Origin of Species, if you read um, the Communist Manifesto or Das Kapital, another book that Marx was involved in, or you read any of these, The Catcher in the Rye, you have to go into it knowing that these ideas are inimical to the Christian ethos. Right. That, like you said, it, it can be about blaming society for the problems. Not This is not to say that there aren't societal issues that need to be solved. Exactly. There are. Exactly. It's not always about the individual. The, the, the banking system, the usury, needs to be solved. Right. That's one societal, structural thing that does affect everyone adversely. Putting that aside... We, we have to understand that in the banned books, it, it, the books that libraries tend not to stock, that they tend to ban, yeah. are Christian books. Right. Most libraries will still stock Bibles because they can't really get away with not having the Bible. Yeah. But Christian books at public libraries that send the right kind of message are very difficult to find. And the books that the libraries want us to see as illicit and banned and... Um, uh, you know, something forbidden. Yeah. But we should still read them, you know, to create that temptation, that forbidden fruit thing. Yeah. There are plenty of those subversive books in our libraries and very few Christian-oriented books. You have to go to a Christian bookstore nowadays. Why is it that when you go to Barnes & Noble, you you find very little Christian books other than a Bible, yeah. and you have to go to a Christian bookstore. Why don't our bookstores simply have Christian books among all the exactly. other literature? Why do our newspapers have church sections of the newspaper? Yeah. Christianity, as Father Dennis Fahey said, the great Irish priest, Christianity is meant to be woven right into the organic fabric of society. Yes. It's not an ornament you hang on a tree. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just some aside. Exactly. It's part of heaven and earth and heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. Right. And that's what the attack really you see is to, and the dividing. Is to get that out of our... Is to get that out right. of, which is the very fabric. Because even when we talk about morals, we're talking about traditional values. And one of that is to have morality. Yeah, right? and that's, and that's in this world now. It's not right. just about heaven. Exactly. On earth as it is in heaven. And we're supposed to have a society... That where Christians aren't just islands of Christianity in an otherwise atheistic right. world. Right. What? Are you kidding? Yeah. Is this some sort of joke? Yeah. No. You're supposed to have a Christian society that then looks up and out to heaven as its next exactly. developmental stage. Exactly. Because mora morals is not just you don't receive them by osmosis. No. There is a higher order. There is a creator. There is God who is the one who instills those morals through his word, through his direction. And so that's right. where when you take God out of morality, you have a dangerous 
bomb about to explode. Well, morality is just whatever, you know, whoever has the biggest guns and the most muscle, right. they define morality. Joseph right. Stalin and Mao and down the list. Exactly. Uh, Genghis, Perfect examples. Genghis Khan killed enormous numbers of Europeans and his raids across their people have no idea how vicious that was. Right. But um, this is the thing. And, and we, we have, we're getting into this post-Victorian, now postmodernist society yeah. and the idea is that every shred and vestige of christian ideas will be removed from the organic world and simply relegated to the otherworldly thing and th and that's not to diminish salvation in heaven by any means mm -hmm. but we don't want to be so salvation oriented that we're of no worldly good right we don't want to, want to be so otherworldly that we that Christianity then has no relevance here. And I think one reason people abandon Christianity is because its relevance here has been diminished, demolished, and removed. Right. And our job, or what we see as our responsibility, Jason, is to put a Christian component in news and then thereby put a Christian component back in society where it's been removed. Exactly. Shred by shred. And one of those tentacles is getting rid of courtship. Yeah. Now, naturally, if, if dating becomes a free-for-all, before long you're going to have illicit ideas. And I'm not saying I'm a total prude. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm open and hip to some of the modernist thinking. I mean, I, I've, I, I used to be a working rock musician. I, I've, <laughs> you know, I've, I've lived a pretty hard-knuckled life. But I've learned... And, you know, come to know God and, and Christ. And uh, I've learned from my mistakes. Like you said, you have to be self-reflective. Mm -hmm. It's not all about other people. Exactly. And I've come to understand that you cannot just cast your sails on any lake and just go wherever the wind takes you without a compass. Right. And without navigational gear. And God gave us the navigational gear. You take that out and you're in for a world of hurt. You don't know where the next waterfall or whirlpool is. Exactly. And so, you know, the whole sexual revolution then came and the feminist movement all, and, and the abortion thing. And, and all that came as we jettisoned all the basic um, uh, protocols right. that used to make civilized life work. And we are seeing the bitter fruits of it now. Children that think they rule their parents. Yeah. And that is almost universal. Very true. We're seeing it in Disney. You see it where every show now that Disney makes. Is there a parent even there? All the kids are, they do whatever they want to do. They live by themselves. They make their decisions. Right. You know, so you're seeing it being pushed out there. The propaganda is there. And, and if a parent is involved, it's probably, it's probably a divorced couple it might be the typically the, a single the, woman the single woman yeah and and, and, the, and, the, and typically the parent's job is just to make sure the kids are getting their food and and the, and the parent has to spend all the money yeah they're, they're just the the whipping boy to go get take the kids where they can't go because they can't drive yet exactly. or, or get them their their mcdonald's hamburgers whatever it might be yeah so the parent is relegated to some sort of servant and and I know you can't always go back there. You know, you can't always go back. And, and I'm not saying that we should necessarily revive the total Victorian age. I'm sure it had its faults and we didn't live during it. So we can't even say exactly what it had uh, with precision detail. But I will say that I've studied it a little bit and we would do well to recover courtship and discipline over children of a sufficient degree. No more of this kid's running the world. No more of this kid's world business. Yeah. 
It's not a kid's world. As That's the great right. novelist Taylor Caldwell said, kids are adults in the making. Yes, you treat them according to their stage and their age in life, but you treat them with the mindset that they're going to become adults, which they become very quickly. Yeah. And this over-coddling, this overly liberal, open-ended, do-what-thou-will, Aleister Crowley thing, come on, people. Yeah. Just face up, stiffen your spine. It does not work. Yeah. It's not working. It is failing big time. Yeah. And that's where you see this entitled. It's like the generation coming up believes they're entitled and they're taught... You know, but I want to I want to make a point on what you're talking about with abortion and all these different things that have come out there, because basically people are being taught there is no consequences to your actions. You can do whatever you want. There are no consequences. You're the ruler of your own destiny. And and so which is very destructive. Yeah, this very took the, the secularist manifesto that the fa father of modern education, John Dewey, signed. And I don't have it with me. I've got the booklet somewhere says and the basic essence of it is man is his own arbiter yeah and what we do about the future is strictly our business and our decisions don't be talking about any external or spiritual guideposts they don't recognize that at all and, and it's worth mentioning that the democratic party recently set a similar made a similar decision as we understand it in its platform that they essentially operate without any recognition of of god yeah and 100%. that don't, almost doesn't need elaboration. But go yeah. on with what you were saying. I kind of segued there. Yeah, no, no, it's it's all it's all accurate because you have a whole society now that believes that there are no consequences for their actions, and you're seeing people that now are being actually rewarded for some of their bad behavior. I mean, that's what you're doing essentially, and so you're seeing that within that within every every realm of of influence into our generation and, and the youth and the colleges. And, and so they're praising this type of behavior. But the reality is you, society will never change if people don't change. And so that's where the attack is, getting back to the statement of culture is local or based you know, on an area, and, but truth is universal. And you can remove the truth out of that culture, out of that society, or you can skew it or alter it then guess what you're going to have? You're going to have a society that believes and acts based upon what they believe because of what they're fed. Even though it is a lie, they're going to behave that way. And so it's almost like you see now, um, I mean, you could, you could talk about so many different areas in society. I won't pick on one, but I will say this, is that now they're fighting against, you know, it seems like you, how, many, how many causes do you see out there where they're fighting against America traditional values against these different things, but they're actually fighting against something that's very decent. It's not, it's not evil, but in doing so, you're fighting against other people and just you're fighting against those people that actually believe in great things and have great faith but you're fighting against those who actually love and care about you. And so you just, you're fighting, you find yourself, I think what happens is you have this culture where everybody fights against everything because it's different than what they believe or because it hurts their feelings and they're so moved by their emotions. Yeah, there, there's no, there's no um, overriding, overarching, guiding, right. guiding light, guiding guideposts. Uh, that, that Christianity has best provided over the centuries exactly. what's been known as Christendom. Yeah. You know, uh, um, a lot of Christian writers uh, talked about it. And 
the great ones over the years, G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, for example, G.K. Chesterton. And his Father Brown uh, series on Netflix is based on some of Chesterton's writings. Okay. And, and it's very interesting. But uh, he talked a lot, and so did C.S. Lewis. Yes. On the opposite side, one Catholic, Chesterton Catholics, Lewis being more Protestant. Mm -hmm. But they agreed on a lot of things. Right. And their writings were right along the lines of what we're saying. And Lewis knew Tolkien, too, who wrote Lord of the Rings. Right. They were friends and contemporaries. Right. Who was the opposite side during their time? The socialist Fabian H.G. Wells. And H.G. Wells was tied to the roundtable groups in England and, and the webs. That's right. And the, the, uh, the Fabian symbol was the turtle, the slow inculcation of socialism and uh, banker rule. Exactly. Ruled by financial fiat. And we'll be right back after these messages. Killing the Planet book, available now from Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, just to got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. It lays the predicate and the foundation for the development of a weather satellite that will permit man to determine the world's cloud layer and ultimately to control the weather and he who controls the weather will control the world. The negative impact of population growth is becoming appallingly evident. What do you see as the biggest challenges in, in conservation? The growing human population. And to get to that goal, you have to monopolize the energy aspects of people around the planet. If you control those two aspects, the green revolution and the gene revolution, then you're able to control the entire planet, every resource on it, extinguish freedom for the rest of history. Available now. Go to killingtheplanetbook.com to get your copy today. Convince people that this war is real. But the media—a history of the last 200 years. Now you created the Federal Reserve in 1913 through lies, as told by the money trail. First, to prepare the United States for foreign war under the guise of American defense. Written by Rodney Howard Brown and Paul L. Williams. My name is Kevin Ship. I'm a former decorated CIA officer. There is a shadow government that is manipulating our elected officials that we see behind the scenes. And finally, someone has come out and written what I think is the best expose on the shadow government ever. Who controls your money? Who controls your savings? You have been lied to. Time after time after time. Political turmoil. National security. Climate change. Military crisis. Violence. Drug war. Nuclear proliferation. The U.S. is at the very least nurturing the largest source of the deadliest and most addictive drug on the planet. 
Central Intelligence Agency was actively protecting certain large drug shipments. So you tell me what the occupation of Afghanistan is really about. The Killing of Uncle Sam. Get your copy today. Visit KillingUncleSamBook.com. Have you ever wondered about the story of money? Read Alice and the Money Tree, written by J.M. Weston Briggs, an illustrated beginner's guide to money and its hidden political and economic impact on society. Get your copy today by going to www.themoneywonderland.com. Welcome back, everybody, to this segment of World Impact News. And those are the people who created the philosophical realm out of which John Dewey came. And John Dewey, who signed the Secularist Manifesto that said man is strictly the arbiter of his own future, was central in remaking our public schools from from what used to be, relatively speaking, godly-based institutions into this idea while bringing Darwin's Origin of Species evolutionary hokum into it, into this idea that not only will religion not be taught in the schools, but it will be seen with hostility. Yeah. And then the, the decisions, Madeline Murray O'Hare, getting rid of school prayer and getting, getting the Bible out of schools, it was all one thing after another. But the, the John Dewey uh, established order in the educational system saw that the Secularist Manifesto projected that as the way to go and this was done very systematically and deliberately yeah and that's where you see i mean let's just you just mentioned madeline o'hare where i mean it cost her uh, i mean she died very brutally one of her sons and her granddaughter who she had basically if you understand the story got custody of away from the other son and they were butchered dismembered and and buried Goodness you know gracious. yeah I forgot, so, forgot about yeah, that yeah you so you have to realize their death was not very pleasant oh. and, and but i'm thinking along what is so threatening about a prayer at a football game what is so threatening to people that they would be so angry and so mad about somebody praying at a football game to protect and help the players yeah, not just disagreeing, but right. actually zealously trying to uproot it and get rid of it. Exactly. Yeah, every prayer no longer said at a game, every prayer no longer said at a graduation ceremony, the long-gone status of courtship. Yeah. Every time we see this, this kind of banning and shaming, um, a, a large large cross memorial uh, uh, for soldiers, I forget which state, that was recently challenged, um, Roy Moore, what he went through, the Alabama judge, yeah. in simply having the Ten Commandments. What is so threatening about that? Yet when they had the Scopes Monkey trial, I believe it was in 1925, and Clarence Darrow is going to bat for the evolutionists, oh, the newspapers even then are singing the praises of the brilliant Clarence Darrow as if he's just you know so witty and so erudite. And boy, he, he took out those redneck Yahoo Bible thumpers. Yeah. And this was the whole image we were given. You know, these simpleton Bible thumpers versus these sophisticated, uh, you know, uh, uh, urbane uh, Clarence Darrow representing, uh, I think it was in the Tennessee schools. And this opened the door to the idea that human beings have no divine origins 
and that we're simply animals in a jungle and you simply fight for what's yours, uh, might makes right, and it's uh, uh, social and cultural and, and evolutionary and financial Darwinism. Whoever has the most toys wins. Yeah. Brotherhood down the drain, forget about it. That went down the drain with courtship. Yeah. And you can see where this has went, ladies and gentlemen. And now, anybody that wants to argue that we're doing better, you're going to have to do really well if you want to debate that. And J Jason and I will take you on in a, de in a debate. And you better be well prepared, way beyond how well you think you should be well prepared. Because any indice, any measurement that you want to find, you're going to find decline. Yeah. It just, there is no basis to say this is working. Yeah. Zero. And I, and I will say this too is, it sounds like, oh, well, you're just coming against all these different left organizations or Demo Democratic, you know, party or whatever it may be, these different, you know. No, be, we're not. It would be anybody that was against this. Because really, if you look at a reflection, and I will say this as a minister, as an ordained minister, is I will say this, is much of it starts in the pew. The reflection of what is happening out there in society, in culture, is a reflection of what is happening in the church. And so, because it's even slipped away religiously in, in the church. You've seen oh, these things where they've allowed things to come into the church that have no place being there. Yeah, and, and it's both sides of the, of the Catholic Protestant aisle. Uh, Pope Francis has been way too liberal in eroding Catholic doctrine. Uh, in terms of, um, you name it, um, the LGBTQ thing and across the board, uh, the Catholic Church has dropped the ball on absolutely forbidding usury. And uh, both on the Protestant side and the Catholic side, there is this abandonment of having a spine and putting your feet on the ground and saying, yeah. no more. Yeah. We can't let it slip any further. Yeah. You know, there's still a multi-billion dollar abortion industry despite all the protests. You know, and again, we, we can't necessarily say that it, a total return to a Victorian age is possible or even desirable. Yeah, but, but we can learn a lot from that. We've gotten onto this revolutionary spinning wheel where we're, we're constantly spinning in direction in one in, in circles and we never know which way north is that navigational gear I talked about that's gone. And one decision that we're not sure about that we don't have a good foundation for leads to another decision that's yeah. shaky, which leads to another uh, decision that's shaky. And pretty soon, a whole string of decisions just leaves us off in the weeds and not out on the road heading forward. Yeah. And, and that's just the way it's been working. And the pendulum has swung very far, I would argue too far, and we need to write that. We need to, we need to study that. Yeah. Um, maybe it's somewhere in the middle, but um, there's been a, a number of other things that have w went into this. Um, John Taylor Gatto, I'll mention him real, real briefly. He's a New York school teacher who some 10, 12 years ago, maybe a little longer, was named Teacher of the Year several times. And then about, let's say, 15 years ago, he resigned or, excuse me, retired from the New York City Public Schools. He had received all these awards. His acceptance speech for, I believe he got more rewards and he was retiring. Then he came out and said, almost everything and the way I've been teaching is total BS. Wow. This system is wrong on so many levels. It's, it's gotten rid of 
that good old Yankee know-how, that good old self-reliance, it's eroded that, he talked about, mm-hmm. and he's not the only one that said that. Yeah. And um, then the education system made human beings into widgets, basically, that were be- going to be taught just to be smart enough, just smart enough to operate a factory machine, just smart enough to be part of the labor force, yeah. but not so smart to where they could have real influence and leadership potential. Mm. Those that still did would be whisked off by the establishment to special schools, such as William Jefferson Clinton. Yeah. No dummy, it's just that him and morality just don't mix real well. Kind yeah. of an oil and water thing there. <laughs> but so you, you, you had this dumbing down and this leveling effect. If one tree was too tall, rather than make the other trees grow tall, they'd chop the one tall yeah. one off yeah. and make them all equal. Yeah. Everybody now gets a trophy. Everybody now, you, you know, yeah, there you go. See? gets hot chocolate and a puppy dog to make them feel better. Right, you know, right. If participation you... awards instead of actually, you know, because there's nothing wrong with obstacles. There's nothing wrong with opposition. There's nothing wrong. It's what's going to make you stronger. Right. It's going to help you in the long run. And so there's nothing wrong with those types of things. No, not inherently wrong. Right. C- certainly not. And so Dewey and a number of other educational pedagogic experts were intent, and, and by their own admission, really, to level off everybody, make everybody the same, make them just a good, compliant workforce, but no one that would challenge the system itself. Yeah. But as this society grew and corporations got more power, kind of ruling over the government to some extent, now they have surveillance and anti-free speech doctrines through social media where those that do try and grow taller, those that do try and establish more of an influential uh, station in life, looking at Mahatma Gandhi, be the change that you want to see in, in society. Mm-hmm. If, if something's unjust then, and you want something changed, then be that change. Yeah. Now, now Gandhi was very wise about that. Yeah. And so... Be the best person you can be. A- a- absolutely. And, and so we're at a crossroads now, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to decide. We're just putting everything out there. Uh, we do have a definite belief as to where uh, things are going and, and how things ought to be corrected, but we're putting everything out there. This needs to be debated and discussed. Do we like this godless, Darwinistic, postmodern, secular society? Is this the way we want to live? Back in merry old England, way before the Industrial Revolution, we're talking just horseback and buggy. Yeah, we had the wheel. Hey, yeah. you know, people only had to work about 140 to 150 days a year to get everything they needed. With all our modern technology and our new morality, some of us are working three jobs, even with all this productive might, yeah. plus the imports we bring in. And yet we still don't produce enough money out of our money-making apparatus to, to buy what's produced. Did you know that the gross domestic product outranks the money supply by about five trillion a year. We have about four or five trillion of a shortfall in money compared to the overall output. Yeah. And so we have all these imbalances and that's another show we'll get into, but we have a highly dysfunctional society from the family and individual level on up to the collective level. Right. Yeah, there's certain things that are nifty like these and technological and digital advancements and and certain luxuries and 
there are some good things we can point to. And there's some signs of recovery and restoration. Yeah. There's hopeful signs all the time, God willing. But by and large, this isn't working. Yeah. And that's, I, I mean, it isn't. And that's the thing I'll have to say, even when it comes to traditional values, is that you see the government making decisions to people and to instructing people like making abortion legal, defining or redefining marriage. These are all attacks against those traditional values that you see where a oh, traditional oh, yes. value, if you want to see a traditional Sorry. home or a traditional family, you go research it yourself. That is a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, usually with kids that either were biological or they were adopted. That is your traditional family. So within the traditional values, you have now things being redefined of what is the traditional family with these modern post-traditional families and the re-identification of them that is ripping apart. How can you have growth? How can even America repopulate without a traditional family? It can. Uh, a, a laboratory example, parts of Italy where people don't have a lot of mobility, where the birth rates went too low, those towns and cities are disappearing. Completely disappearing. Wow. There are places in the world where you can get kind of a uh, uh, a modality or a, a, um, a living laboratory where you can study the, the, the effects of these trends. You know, 2.5 to 3.5 children is just the replacement rate. Yeah. Which, what is the 0.5? I don't know. Yeah, how but, do you, but anyway. What's, but a, again, what's a quarter horse, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I think that's the thing is getting to where the government now is involved in making these decisions and redefining what values are and that where you have government control. Because that's where... I believe that's where the problem is, where they want bigger government. So when you get rid of traditional values, you're taking away self-government. And, and then that's where you're getting bigger government that's being instilled or trying to be instilled, where you see government come in and change those values. And that's where you're seeing as government gets, and this is historically correct. You can watch this. As government gets bigger, churches get smaller. As governments get, you understand yes. how the effects that it has it's on inverse society. proportion. It's right. an inverse proportion, right. and so you've always seen that. That's why I'm a big believer. I'm an advocate for clubs and groups and organizations. What happened to that? I mean, my oldest son is part of a, a bowling club and a bowling league. I love it. I endorse that. When you have clubs and people coming together, and you have society being able and these cultures coming together, even though their beliefs might be different, they come together with a common purpose and a common interest and a common good. And that's where the problem is, is where even I believe in that. I mean, what happened to the sewing club? What happened to the scrapbooking club? What's happened to these, you know, which were part of the traditional values? A lot of people would answer what happened was the cellular telephone. Yeah. That they now they vicariously do those and other things, or at least a little bit of it, simply on Facebook or on the internet. Yeah. And rather than getting together with people, they text them, or, or they might have a face-to-face -face Skype call or something. But and that's not to say that that technology is is wrong in and of itself. It, the problem is, is we've allowed it to replace human relations rather than augment them. Exactly. You know, and. 
the cohesion of those groups also being eroded by this uh, postmodernist society goes up to the nation state itself because now they not only redefine the family, redefine marriage and all these things, they redefine nationhood, Jason. And so one way they redefine that is if you believe in nationhood and you don't want some arbitrary forced international system pushed on you, right. then you are a nationalist. Well, if you're a nationalist, then, then you're probably, oh, let's just say white, for example. And if you're white, which is really just a European-based American, yeah. um, this is white. <laughs> Do I look white to you? See, all these myths that we have out there. Um, then the idea is that if you believe in the nation state fervently and America first, like President Trump talks about, right. then you're in the same league as nationalists like Stalin and Hitler. And, and so there's this conflation that all nationalists are created equal. They're all bad. If they don't like internationalism, that means they don't, they don't like integration. If they don't like integration, they hate everybody. Of course, none of that is true except for the occasional malcontent right. that maybe goes off the rails, you know. And so there's this false idea put in there uh, is, and we talked about this off the air, Jason, what has happened to today's capitalist? Yeah. The capitalist of yesteryear, let's just go back to Father Knows Best, post-World War II, or even prior to World War II in the yes. 30s and 40s, post-World War One, right? Yes. The capitalist businessman who wasn't a factory laborer, let's just say, who worked for an ad agency or a publisher or the R&D department of a manufacturing concern, <clears throat> that capitalist businessman probably had a Bible in his briefcase, or if he didn't, at least he went to church on Sunday with his 3.5, 4.5, or 5.5 kids. And that's a man and a woman married, not, you know, right. you know, not a woman and a woman and a man and a man. And this businessman might have been upper middle class living in uh, what became suburbia, or he might, might have been just straight middle class. Right. And the middle class was much stronger back then. It's been eroded. And he might have even been a little on the poorer side. But rich, poor, or in between, the, the bread-winning capitalist American, let's say, businessman was at least nominally, if not seriously, Christian. Yeah. But now what I have found through my studies, looking at think tanks like the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, which is a, a branch of the infamous CFR, if not a branch, at least a, a sort of ideological cousin or sibling. Um, and the CFR in New York, in turn, came out of the Royal Institute of International Affairs at Chatham House in London, which in turn is tied to the roundtable groups that we talked about earlier, which in turn is tied to the Fabians and H.G. Wells right. and, and the Webbs, the family known as the Webbs. Yes. And they believe cynically that mankind needed a heavy hand yeah. without God, not God's hand, but the heavy hand of the state and the financial powers that rule the state. Yeah. And so through that conduit, which is part of the, the main part of the ruling class in, in America, they have now given us the idea that capitalism no longer has anything to do with Christianity, just like they've separated Americanism from nationalism. Right. They want to remove nationalism and then redefine Americanism as internationalism. Constant wars for their own sake, uh, constant interventionism, police the world, right. not pick things more carefully, not be a little bit more astute and careful about our foreign adventurism. So 
there's that separation, but now they want the capitalist businessman to no longer tout Christian ideas. And sure enough, at capitalist-based um, meetings like the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, where they support the free flow of capital, their new, their new definition of capitalism, yeah. free trade, all of this is good, tariffs and protectionism and economic nationalism, of course, because they're nationalistic, are bad. Yeah. So now you have people like the UK... Um, government representative Alan Duncan. I believe Alan Duncan is still part of the British state uh, employed in that way by the, by the British government, a British government official. He spoke to the Chicago Council about three or four years ago, and now this nominally or quasi-capitalist group is hearing that it's a good thing that the London Gay Chorus was brought to Chicago recently at that time. So whereas yesteryear's capitalists would have said, you know, let's go to church on Sunday and, you know, uh, business is business, but, you know, we still need God. Right. Now, the idea of, of uh, free moving capital and f the free trade of goods and services, the free movement of people, which is the redefinition of capitalism, right. is now separated from Christianity. The capitalist businessman is no longer nationalistic in his business dealings. He's international and he's no longer Christian in his morals. He's atheistic or agnostic yeah. and that's evidenced by people like British official Alan Duncan boasting that part of the, the new capitalist mindset is the internationalist mindset is now let's bring the London Gay Chorus to Chicago that now capitalism is adrift in the same choppy waters without a compass as the rest of society. Right, which is an attack against our original traditional values and it's infiltrated and you could see these ideologies that have so changed and so, where we've even become, I mean, I'll say this, we've become a, I mean, and really beginning to raise a victim mentality. You know, everybody's a victim now. I mean, there's so many of these different things that are a breakdown because of the traditional values that have been either removed or altered to fit into the modern society of today. Yeah, the secularism. It's almost so. like somebody in a slippery shower and all the handles have been taken off. Right. You know, the, all the support structure's gone, and we're expected to just twist in the wind. Yeah. And twisting in the wind means, I don't feel right, I'm going to take a drug. Yeah. Twisted in the wind means, I don't feel right, I might take my own life. As opposed to finding God, or, you know, at least heading in that direction. Right. So, as we summarize today, I think that this is a good overview. I think in future video news shots, we'll get into more specifics and focus on those alone for traditional values. But today we've covered this overview. Yeah. And I think that we simply need to learn from our past, not simply flush it down, not simply abandon it altogether. Granted, you can't go home again always, and you can't always totally relive it. You don't have to. Right. But I would point out just as a, a cultural lamppost, rent the movie or find it on Netflix or some streaming uh, platform Kate and Leopold, uh, starring uh, Meg Ryan as Kate and Hugh Jackman as Leopold. He's a 19th century engineer who's catapulted into the future. He's got it all. Chivalry, masculinity, protect women as women. Not, uh, 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 expert in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Uh, a man of letters, uh, extremely erudite, perfect handwriting, perfect table manners. All of this was taught consistently as a normal thing, a relatively normal thing in Victorian America. 
And he represents that. He comes to the future. He cannot believe how barbaric people are, how unmannered they are, how uncouth they are. Yeah. He's just, he's amazed at the technology as airplanes fly over his head, but he can't believe how all this technology has advanced and yet people have not. Yeah. But maybe that's because it goes into what was stated earlier is this has Facebook and Instagram and social media has replaced personal interaction. That's a big part of it. Because reality is people are, how strange they are, how difficult they are, people are still the best thing on the planet. That's right. And nobody will ever be able to change my opinion of that. Any, any final thoughts, Mark? Well, I would accept what you just said, and that's any person of any station, of any color, of any race, they are all God's children. That's right. And we're here to speak out for all of them because God's children need the owner's manual. They need the navigational guideposts. God didn't mean for us to twist in the wind. Right. To just blow along like a tumbleweed or confetti. Now, some of us might enjoy that for a little while when we're in our 20s and, you know, a little bit of that swashbuckling life. But I believe it's the Bible that says that eventually we have to put away the things of youth. That's right. And it also says sin is good for a season. And so, but then you mature and you grow in the things of God. So, well, my final thoughts are today is, you know, even because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean that you can, can't be friends with them. You can still be friends with them. Look, I came into this revelation even in my own marriage, is where I finally understood why opposites attract. Me you know too. how many, many, me, many me too. Let me add, attract. me too, as yeah. well with my marriage. Because yeah. one of the things I, I really understood through opposites attract is if I married anybody like me, I couldn't stand them. <laughs> yeah, but, who, who but did, look, who'd invite me to a party, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, and just laugh at yourself every once in a while. Yes. You know, look in the mirror and just laugh at yourself. I mean, that's one of the other things in this is having a sense of humor and actually not taking things so personally. And, and people pick up offenses. So don't be offended. That will take you out. And so, but that's my closing thoughts is get along with people. Even because they don't believe or you don't believe the same way doesn't mean that you cannot still be friends and that you still can't love people. And so, and that's really what, what uh, we're just wanting to get the information out there, facts out there, information out there that will be thought-provoking. But more than anything, it will be heart-provoking. So, because it can't just be... Excellent point. It can't just be mind knowledge. It can't just be intellectual without it being heart knowledge. And so, we thank everybody for watching. And uh, Thanks, you know, Jason. Here, we, uh, Mark and I are just so glad that uh, you're watching today and that you're listening to this today. Don't forget, you can catch us on YouTube and on different podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor, Anchor, Bleacher, uh, Radio Public. There's all these different ones and there's more and more coming out every single day. And so thanks for watching and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. See ya.